Welcome to the Legendarium Green Team. I'm your host, Kip Tan, and with me today are Jeff Dugan. Me? And Jingles90. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about L.E. Modisit's book, The Magic of Recluse, the first book in the Recluse Saga in publication order, but our third to be covered here on Green Team. We can start right off with first impressions, so we're going to be doing spoiler extremely light to start off, and then we will get deeper into spoilers as we go. We'll only be discussing spoilers for Magic of Recluse, though, not really anything for the other two books that we've covered already. Jingles, you're the newcomer here. What did you think of this book? Was he all he was cracked up to be? Did I poison the well too badly? (laughs) No, I think it actually, I can get into this later. I didn't think he was that whiny. Definitely restless. Definitely a little on the um, miserable side, especially in the beginning. But I actually grew to like Laris a lot more than Lauren, I think. And overall for the book, all three of these kind of sit in that same area for me of enjoyment. I don't think it moves eh, maybe slightly above slightly above Magi. Okay. If you had to give it a number rating, what would you say? Oh, um, probably around the 7.58. Okay, cool. Jeff, I know that you've read this book before, but how did you like it this time around? The interesting observation for me this time around is that some of the pieces that I remembered being bigger chunks of the book were much smaller than I was recalling them. I don't know if that's a difference of page count versus audio, Hmm. but also very definitely a a piece in which the section of the book that I actually remember enjoying the most from when I had read it a very long time ago came a lot later in the book and didn't take up nearly as much time as I thought I remembered. I will actually second that. I wonder if we're talking about the same part. (laughs) Yeah, I'm curious. I, uh, I actually went back into my ebook and I sectioned out the whole book by location. Mm-hmm. And so what I have some percentages to share with everybody. Uh, but we will do that in the spoiler section. Okay. None of them were like nearly as long. What I felt like half the book to me, but definitely wasn't. Yeah. I was I think there's yeah, something that y'all were prepping me for in the last episode where I was kind of expecting a lot more of like this one thing to be the focus and then was kind of surprised to see that it didn't happen um, (laughs) um, until way later. So anyway, yeah, I'll be interested to get into that conversation. Okay. Jeff, where would you number this book? I'm with Jingles. I'd probably, I would probably give it a seven or an eight. It's, It's a solid first effort for a series. It is not the author's first effort ever. It's well done. There's maybe a a little weirdness in pacing. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And some of that's the, I think, what we were both just alluding to of certain things standing more prominently in memory than actual page counts would suggest, and vice versa. I can see that. And it's never going to be a book that jumps up to the list of dearly beloved comfort rereads that are places held by things like Stardust. Sure. I give it a seven. I think it's a solid fantasy book. I think it does a bunch of things fairly well. I don't think it does anything in an exemplar fashion. And it definitely doesn't have any sort of like unique flair that I would recommend it for. No. Well, I I would get into maybe one thing. Um, Food. 
the food. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, I'd get into actually, it does change up the hero's journey for me a little bit, but it's like a really minor change. Like you said, nothing exemplary, <laughs> like yeah. nothing overly exemplary. Later books in the series do better the thing that makes Recluse unique. Sure. Just for the record, when Modisit wrote this book, he made it a standalone originally. He had no intentions for following it up with a sequel, and he initially wasn't sure how he was going to follow it up with a sequel, so he wrote a prequel instead. Okay. I can see that. And then he started sketching out the universe. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, this is totally with the knowledge that there's 20 books coming, but it was like, oh, yeah, this feels the most contained of the three that we've read so far. Yeah, I was actually a little confused with, we're usually looking at duologies here. I was like, this one actually is, I have a very limited scope, but this one feels like I don't have to read a sequel to it, like um, Magi did. You definitely don't have to. Magi, definitely you do. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Magi is half a story. Yeah. Yeah. But the first two books are very much standalone. You can read them, be totally done, no big deal. Yep. At the time it was written, the same is true of The Magic Engineer. The same is still true of The Magic Engineer. Um, There's no sequel to that book. There's not a direct sequel, but it now sort of forms the middle edge. None of the characters reappear. Magic Engineer's the middle, bracketed by White Order and Colors of Chaos. Sure. So you see the same events played out. There's still no direct sequel, but yeah. It's really not until he started in with books six and seven that he starts doing this pair of point of view novels. It's funny that I think of when you said the magic engineer, I was like, that's a black book and that has no black sequel. (laughs) That's where my mind Mm -hmm. went. The dichotomy of Ellie Mosset has really gotten into my head. (laughs) I can totally see that. (laughs) We've done our spoiler free talk. Oh, other than uh, Chesky asked, is this a good entry point into Recluse? And I think the obvious answer is yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. Of the three so far, this is the most standard fantasy you could get. I mean, <laughs> if you've read Robert Jordan, if you've read Terry Goodkind, Brooks, literally anyone who was writing in this era for this type of fantasy, it, you're going to be able to get right into it. And of the three that we've gone through, this is the one that does the best job of laying out order and chaos in particular the the piece that neither of them is inherently good or bad of the three we've talked about maybe but there's there's several like little pieces of the magic system in this one which are just completely incongruous to anything else that he's ever written in this world and so i i think there's parts of it that don't quite mesh with Laris's experience as he tells us and as his parents tell us. So I think there's a couple mistakes in this one, essentially. Yeah. Okay, now we're about to get into spoiler talk. Three, two, one. If you haven't read the books, go away, unless you're read or someone else who has her enlightened idea of spoilers. <laughs> Let's go in. We can talk about how exactly Hero's journey this book is now. Yeah. I kind of agree with you, Jeff, that there is like a, I got kind of stuck on the order chaos being balanced situation here. The morality of order and chaos seems to be not very defined at the beginning of this book, but by the end, I thought we were very much aiming for order equals more good, chaos equals more bad. 
maybe that's because of things that are happening in Recluse. I mean, they did establish, Modest had established pretty easily that throughout the book that there's so much chaos focused in Kandar right now because Recluse has been kind of so successful in imposing order, which I found interesting. The balance. The balance. It's always there. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, and it's kind of to the point of the hero's journey. It starts out almost exactly like all of those. We have our hero start in a pretty mundane existence and eventually he crosses a threshold that takes him to something a little bit more right or way more i think for me i liked the little twist on this is that the mundane still plays a huge role in what comes after he passes that threshold in that we spend you know 20 percent of the book as with him still as a carpenter even after his training is done and also the piece we're in that very mundane craft is what turns out to be critical to him understanding how he manipulates order. Yep. And how he replicates the uh, apprenticeship that he had under Sardit in a new location and continues his education in a more self-directed fashion. But also how he finally opens up the book that his father got him. <laughs> Which, you know, is another standard part of the hero's journey, right? It's a reconciliation with the father. Yeah. Starting to understand why the father does what he does. Yep. And it's right about the halfway point, which is about where it happens in the book. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I actually have those numbers that I was talking about earlier. And so we have about 1% in his own home. Then we have another like 3 to 4% in his apprenticeship. And then we have a total of 21% of the book is him training in the Danger Guild-like training area in Nylon. I would not have said it was that long. 21%, yeah. He doesn't enter Freetown until the 25% mark of the book. Oh, yeah, that's, this book was a little <laughs> slow to start for me. I'm going to be perfectly honest. <laughs> that was, um, yeah, it was just that entire Danger Guild piece. Was, I thought it was interesting to start in those, oh, weird taking forever (laughs) to get through this the part that shocked me most was how he was immediately so like so derogatory towards tamra upon seeing her in an instant he was like i wanted to throttle her that b word (laughs) that was wild to me it was like I have not seen a swear word in this entire book. And then like yep. one of the first women he interacts with, that's not family. <laughs> he calls her that. I was okay. Well, this is. And then different. Crystal, he was like, oh, she's very pretty, but only if she didn't giggle. Yeah. <laughs> only what Laris? Only what? <laughs> yeah. I, his interactions with the women at the beginning of this book are, are just very odd. Maybe fitting a little bit into that. He's a youth that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah has a lot of uh toxic feelings maybe uh, towards the opposite sex i think it's maybe more that at least to start his toxic feelings are toward recluse and order in the first place i'm going to try and save laris here and say that his reaction to tamara is because she's an incipient chaos master and so I, he's having he's yeah. having an instinctual order chaos reaction to her and that's where his immediate hatred comes from. Okay. I have no complaints yeah. with that explanation. 
It's the only way I can try and save Laris here because it, it was a forceful reaction that came from nowhere. Yeah. They didn't even exchange words that he just immediately hated her. Given the role she plays at the end of this book, that, that yeah, seems fair to me. I just, I mean, it's a lot of benefit of the doubt though. She's not, she's <laughs> not the only chaos chaotic person there, but she is the only chaos wizard exclusively there. I mean, right. but if you believe the brotherhood, then they're all chaos attractors in one form or another. Right. Or at least insufficiently satisfied with order to contribute to order at sure. that point in their lives. Sure. But I can't help but note the lack of vituperative speech against the other people who were there. Yep. No, I, like I said, I have, even if it's not something that was intended, I think that what you have just described is a perfectly cromulent explanation for what happens. <laughs> sure. It totally hangs together. Yep. Yep. So that's, again, that was the danger dealt part. 17% of the book is spent with Justin, 20% in Fenard, and about 13% in Kipros. The Justin Kipros. and Fenard parts are both smaller than they are in my memory. Yep. Same. Same. I remember the Justin part being small, but I thought Fenard was longer. Yeah. Okay. So the, here's where my confusion came in, because you all were prepping me for carpentry. For like <laughs> this entire book, and then <laughs> we got through his training. I was like, well, "That wasn't very long." I mean, he's, it was just kind of the the onus to get him moving forward. And then we got to Fenard, and uh, oh, okay. And this took yeah quarter of the book. I'm not surprised by that. Kifros, the last area. Kifros, kind of, yeah, yeah, it's Kifros. the country that Crystal's fighting for. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that was 13%. 13%. By the time we got out of Fenard, I kind of just felt like the book almost ended. Like, but He uh, goes off to fight Antonin at the 90% mark. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that he leaves Fenard and it just barrels toward the conclusion. He leaves Fenard at the uh, 77% mark, and then he leaves uh, Kifrian at the 90% mark. He gets that like nice little moment of reconciliation with Crystal for like a day or two. Yeah. And then he spends the time with the people eating the spicy chili. Yeah. That's also a decent chunk. That does kind of get to the point. The, the pacing of this book is very weird. <laughs> a, there's a lot of peaks and a lot of just slow. Here's life. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah. Slice, I, I don't know if did, I'd call it slice of life, but did you get invested in him building up a dowry for <laughs> not really two I was, different people? Yeah. The kind of thing that I would compare this to is like modesty. It was trying to do what Rothfuss is really successful at, which is make me feel a certain way towards another art like carpentry. Mm, yeah. I would really like to feel the way Laris feels while he's creating. That'd be really cool. Uh, but the prose was just not there. It's yeah. not like with Rothfuss when you have Koth actually playing and you can feel the music um, coming out of him, at least to my mind. Yeah, I had a hard time investing. I found it very interesting when someone burnt up because there was too much order in the chair. That was cool. <laughs> I remember those chairs taking so much longer. Yeah. <laughs> And it being a lot more than he steeped them in order and then he steeped them again in order. Yeah. 
just kept steeping. Yeah, never and working with grain. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff that could have worked there that would have made that whole section more okay to in my mind. But yeah, it just it didn't grip me as much as I think he might have wanted it to. Yeah. I mean, there was that whole detour for like the streets of magical prostitutes. Yeah. And what what was going on there? Just uh, seeing how order and chaos can be used practically. <laughs> I don't know. No, I was just saying that my answer there is that I think that scene is intended to show us the degree to which Lyris's order chaos senses have developed as a result of what he's been doing with his craft compared to how they were functioning when he had to break company mm. with Justin before he ended up in Fenard. I don't know about that because one of the very first things he does upon entering Nylon is see through illusions. And so that skill is not an expansion of anything that he hasn't, not something that he learned since he saw Justin, not something that he ever learned. It's just something he's always been able to innately do. So like that doesn't show growth really. It maybe it's temptation, but did we really believe that Laris was going to sleep with a prostitute? Mm. Yeah. No. (laughs) Yeah. It, doesn't show his healing skills because it isn't, he doesn't heal any of these people. That's right. He doesn't. That's not the place that he does it. But what I set out of it was specifically the sort of the expansion of that set of senses. Because mm. in Nylon and while he's traveling with Justin, a lot of the things that rely on that set of senses take him work. And no, to- not in Nylon. He just immediately sees through in Nylon. He doesn't even understand that he's seen through something. It's so easy to him. He's like, why are there heat waves around these ships? And he doesn't realize he's not supposed to see either the heat waves or the ships. Right. I said that it was always clear to me he wasn't supposed to supposed to see the heat waves. The ships themselves it, are supposed to be invisible when he sees them with the heat waves. To everyone else, they look like empty piers. Okay. One one of those things that had never previously clicked with me, possibly because it's one of those things he's doing without realizing that it's happening. Yeah, Tamara's very jealous about it. In the market at Nylan, there's a little bit of work he ends up needing to put in that it's at first just kind of a, a little bit of an instinctive, there's something wrong with that sword, and then with a little bit of thought is able to understand what's going on with it. Oh. Yes, so the the evil sword, the crystal almost buys. Yeah. Yeah. And then working with then working with Justin and the sheep, again, that it's Conscious. That's a different skill, though. That's not seen through illusions. Okay, then maybe you and I are reading what was happening in the perfumed quarter differently. Okay. It's not something that was registering with me as a seeing through illusions. There were two skills that were being used, I guess. There was the detection of chaos forces within a person, and there was the discernment of true forms versus illusory glamours. Okay. And the chaos forces in the person is the yeah. part where I was saying... You were asking, why is that scene there? Yeah. That's the piece of it I'm saying it, it's showing has expanded through the result of the other things he's done. Because where it used, because where <sighs> it previously took work for him to do it, say, for example, with Justin the Sheep, once he's in the perfumed quarter, he didn't have to try that sense of the chaos forces operating within them was just there. Sure. But there's been other instances in the story where he's sensed chaos around people, such as the prefect soldiers who have been like chaos transformed through the fountain. So I I do think that 
it's not just to show his increasing mastery of order, but there's something specific about it being sex work that Laris is seeing and refusing. Okay. And I just don't particularly think it was a well-made point. That I can agree with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did anybody else have a topic they wanted to talk about or shall I continue on? I would like to talk about order and chaos just as a magic system. Now that I feel like I actually do have cool. an interesting grasp on it. Yeah. Chesky asks order versus chaos. Which are you benefits and downsides? Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm probably chaos, but <laughs> I want to be order <laughs> a little order. <laughs> I don't know. Elaborate. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like gray seems too easy an answer for me. Cause there, I like <laughs> rules. I like lots of rules, but I also don't mind breaking them if it's convenient. <laughs> That's kind of the kind of where I'm coming at with this, but I don't think either thing is necessarily wrong right off the, I can keep just, no, I'm good. <laughs> Our clear mentor figure here is Justin, the gray wizard. And we see both pure white and pure black be pretty bad. And we see Laris get, uh, quietly angry and also angry to the point where he refuses to even like consider the idea that recluse might be encouraging chaos on candor for its own benefit and so i do think that it, the, the book pretty clearly lays out that gray is where all responsible wizards should be right but i think i fall on the black side i, I like my order i like i like my things in their place i <laughs> like <laughs> uh all of my room organization to the contrary i i love to imagine that i could be orderly right yeah i think that's always the hope right is we can always be a little more orderly <laughs> than chaotic but as you can see in my room i like just a lot of random things trinkets my whole house is filled with them so <laughs> uh yeah chaos, but i see, I see books ordered up on shelves look right that's the one <laughs> exception like <laughs> Antonin's castle out in the mountains, like nothing fit, nothing. No, it was all horrible craftsmanship. It was all deteriorating. That was something I appreciated um, from the carpentry aspect of him making the points where he's learned that he can actually recognize these things in very subtle ways and just kind of observe them and recognize them. Yeah, though I didn't get the impression that the mistakes were subtle in Antonin's no. castle. No, no place fell apart as soon as he died yeah it was it was pretty uh ramshackle at that point yeah so as for the cast versus order i don't remember if i've ever done as part of a text conversation in the server someplace the analogy i have seen sometime of how every good organization needs a balance of order muppets and chaos muppets <laughs> <laughs> and actually takes certain muppets and gives them perfectly good examples of who are order muppets and who are chaos muppets bunsen and beaker even out of those two bunsen honeydew actually really is a chaos muppet more than he is an order muppet but beaker is an order muppet <laughs> sam the eagle is an order muppet as are kermit and scooter it's very orderly to only be able to make one sound <laughs> but gonzo animal the swedish chef are all chaos muppets <laughs> I am absolutely a cast Muppet who desperately tries to pretend he is an order Muppet. Where's Miss Piggy? Oh, she's got to be a chaos Muppet, right? <laughs> oh, she might be the one true gray. 
<laughs> I mean, she holds things together when it's just her. <laughs> Boss and Kermit around. I mean, she was <laughs> a treasure Island. She, she was be. a God. Yeah. <laughs> she might be order. Um, let's see. Maybe a black Muppet. Let's see from the original version of the article. They list as Chaos Muppets, Cookie Monster, Ernie, Grover, Gonzo, Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew, and Paradigmatically Animal. Order Muppets. And I'm thinking about Bert, Scooter, Sam the Eagle, Kermit the Frog, and the blue guy who is perennially harassed by Grover at restaurants. <laughs> Picky doesn't get play? I would love to be Order. Though uh, their like regular sleeping schedule thing does not appeal to me. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the... So, actually, the small amount of time we spent in Recluse... I understand why Laris thinks everything is boring. Yeah. Like the getting up at an exact time, having your entire life planned out to the point where you don't quite fit. So we're going to get you out of here to either die or come back and make you fit. <laughs> and then we're like, that just sounds terrible to me. Having to keep a spotless outdoor shower and use it every day. Right. <laughs> Even in the winter. Yeah, no, no, thank yeah, you. No, <laughs> I understand that maybe there's some like magic cold resistance that comes along with being orderly, but he still doesn't make it seem like he doesn't feel the cold. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't die from it because honestly, Laris should be dead from the snowstorms that he's been stuck in. Oh, yeah, yeah. probably with the like v- very low amount of preparation that he had and very low amount of exposure gear. Yeah. Things that saved Laris, Justin, his staff, and his lovely mountain pony, Gerlock. Gerlock. And an I was awful worried, Gerlock. lot of luck. Yep. Oh, an <laughs> awful lot of luck. An awful lot of luck. Would you say that Laris is a Taviran? <laughs> well, okay. So actually, in, in some honest, I think he might have some of that going for him. Because if we look at him from the perspective of this is order that is coming to impose balance on chaos for this particular thing he is in some ways kind of destined to survive through this right i don't know if recluse has firm destiny like that no well that's what i'm yeah but like, i'm not saying yeah, it's I, firm, I mean it's, it seems convenient a lot of things yeah. seem convenient yep i will completely agree with with that that if we're going to import the idea of taviran from the westlands and the wheel of time <laughs> into other series that just happens to meet his uncle there are two th- two or maybe arguably three in the pieces of recluse that i've read that i think stand out as deserving that and laris is one of them justin is the maybe three doran is the one i think is the other one i'll say Rawl isn't <laughs> lauren i don't know maybe maybe lauren lauren's very much a lift myself up kind of guy <laughs> i think uh been in a lot of circumstances where he could have died. Yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff that's orchestrated to in favor him, but he is not the favored odd, except for maybe by his own mindset. <laughs> <laughs> there's some like more minor recluse characters whose lives don't like necessarily change anything on a huge scale. And so I'm less inclined to say that they're destined to do anything, but uh Laris Dude has uh, taken out the biggest wizard in Kandar, has bonded with a mountain pony who was being abused, has rewound the memories and histories of a girl he trained with, met his uncle, escaped from who knows how many cities. 
Yeah. Like I said, Blaris is absolutely one. I think Dorin is one. Okay. I think Justin is arguably another. Yeah. Hmm. But in Justin's case, I'm not positive whether it's just that we see the first part of Justin's story because we see the end of his story with Laris. I think we can have a more fruitful discussion of this after we finish, like, uh, Colors of Chaos. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> Speaking of which, Chesky asks, how confused were you at the end? Or if not, explain. Confused by what? I'm not clear on that. Okay. Maybe by how he defeats the White Wizard. Mm. Fundamentally, at least as I recall it, what he does to defeat Antonine is ex- it's just exactly the same thing that Justin did on a more intense scale. Or the same thing Justin taught him about resisting before they went through Fervin on a more intense scale. I disagree entirely about that. Because what he did to defeat Antonin was, yes, he defended himself against Antonin's psychic attack by self-acclamation. But what he did was he locked a double set of shields, which separated them from the outside world, and so stopped Antonin from drawing on the chaos forces outside of the little bubble that that he made. And Antonin needed those chaos forces to keep his body intact. And so he just outlasted Antonin uh, as he worked through his own internal reserves. Yeah. So Chesky just elaborated a little bit. Just want to know if any of you were confused by him breaking the staff and releasing the order, lowering the chaos. More of a how hard is it is it to follow what's happening overall? I actually never quite caught on to why he broke his staff. Okay. Uh, I can cover that. Okay. So... Order and chaos are balance. Right. Usually the advantage of order is that it's something that has to be built over a large area. Concentrating the order has the effect of leaving a lot of chaos open and available someplace else. Okay. By pulling the order out from the staff and letting it go, if you think of sort of you think of the thing of the balance inside that area he has shielded off, like Kip was describing a minute ago. He now has an overwhelming level of order versus chaos because he opened it. Releasing the order out of the staff sends some of the order back into that area and thereby lowers the amount of chaos that's available for Antonin to draw on. Chaos goes into the staff, order comes out of it. Out of it. Okay. But also, as long as the order was in the staff, it wasn't available for for Laris to draw on. Right. Had to stay contained within. Which I'm I'm also still... Here's what I'm confused about. Is Lorcan a real wood? I don't think it is. Editor Kip here. No, it is not. And we're going to skip my lengthy defense that it is. I think there was a lot of good foreshadowing built for that final battle. Because... There are plenty of times where Laris starts to catch on that chaos mages just do not have much of themselves left over. And I did like him playing on actually utilizing that. Also, it's an optional step of the hero's journey to uh, grow past your supernatural aid. And the supernatural aid that he first received was that staff. That staff. That first burn. (laughs) I saw the first hiss. We've made it that far. (laughs) Let's just go through the hero's journey rapid fire. Okay, pause real quick. Sure. From Modisit himself, so far as I know, Lorcan does not exist in our world. 
A Carver oh. friend of mine claims that Black Locust is the closest analog and actually made a gift of a Blackstaff carved from that. Black Locust is hard to work, but extremely durable. Then I will have to ask my uncle what his lurking tree is. <laughs> <laughs> There's something else that does suggest that it might be related to the Dutch, the Dutch word for larch. Okay. So uh, call to adventure. Right. His choice of danger geld or just gone for good. Yep. Refusal of the call. Doesn't want to go. Dude does not want to go. <laughs> I think we're pretty clear about that. Supernatural yeah. aid. Staff. Staff. Crossing the first threshold. And also a little bit of supernatural aid in his traveling equipment mm. from his mother. Yep. The like unnaturally close and perfect brown woven fabric of recluse, uh, which not every other danger gilder gets. No. They don't get the staff either. That was something from Sardit, right? Correct. I'm remembering correctly. And Laris and Tamra are the only two who have them. Yes. Right. Our mage candidates. Crossing the first threshold, we've got a pretty distinct black wall of nylon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Belly of the whale. Uh, I would say that's his whole time in nylon. Yeah. We're all the real. Yeah. And then uh, he goes in a literal ship across an ocean to uh, his road of trials, which I would say is Kandar. Yeah. <laughs> All scandal. Maybe you could in incorporate the Danger Guild into that. Meh. Pretty blurry on how that goes. Then meeting with the goddess. Gotta be Deirdre, right? Experiences a love that has the power and significance of the all-powerful, all-encompassing, unconditional love a fortunate infant may experience with his or um, mother. Unconditional. Okay, well, he already met Crystal, so <laughs> we've got that. <laughs> we've got that all set up. <laughs> I mean, it could be Deirdre. And then there's it, Temptation. It could be... That temptation could be either Antonin or it could be the uh, Street of Prostitutes. I think Antonin fits better. Okay. Yeah. Atonement with the Father. Said reading the book, accepting order. Yeah, I think that one's there. Yeah, coming to terms with order. This is rightful place, I guess, in using magic. Then there's apostasis. Uh, someone dying the ultimate death. I don't think we got that one. I don't particularly... Tamara's probably the closest. What's his name? Dustin? Not Dustin. Destrin. 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 Oh, yeah. Forgot about Destrin. Yeah. Laris uh, helps someone pass on, essentially. He does. But it's not in like a... He stops him multiple times. Yeah, he spends the entire time he's there healing him. Yep. And does he... Do we actually see Destrin die? I thought he was still alive when, when Laris left. Actually, I, I don't remember. And we, I just finished this book. Yeah, same. <laughs> no, because when so when they're we all, we know it's going to happen. We know it's going we to know, happen, but it, we, know we didn't see happen. it happen. Okay, no, because when they're trying to evacuate, he thinks about leaving Destrin, and then he's wait. Oh wait, I can just knock this yeah. guy out. Yeah, <laughs> so right, yeah, <laughs> right. that's what happened. Yeah, <laughs> and then he carries him to the mill. <laughs> I can't fight him, but I can make him sleep. Sleep is natural. Sleep is orderly. I just knocked out a bunch of guards and this guy's full of chaos because he's dying. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're allowed to sleep 24 seven because it's orderly, maybe I'll choose order. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're going to force you to wake up at crack it on. I don't remind me. Then the ultimate boon. Mm. Mm, there's not. I don't think that happens. No. Refusal to return. So I don't really think that the return part of the monomyth has been completed. Well, I think we've 
he thinks about it a lot, but... Also, in the end, actually decides that he's content to be orderly, but he's not content to be orderly and recluse. Yeah. I think, yeah, he ultimately decides that he wants to stay with Crystal um, and Kandar. That's the real question between the, the chaos and order debate. Like, even if you choose order, would you stay in recluse? They would love to think that the two are synonymous, but they're not. No. How much are we talking about if if you don't like the perfect idea of recluse as it is, you have a touch of chaos in you? Are we thinking it's that, or are we just the way they establish recluse is strictly on them, and there's plenty of order to go around elsewhere? I think the way that they establish recluse is strictly on them. It's one yeah. form of order, but it is not the only one. Right. Okay. And as Kip said, as much as they would like to try to have people convinced otherwise. And Laris keeps asking, but why? But why? And all of their order masters are like, yeah, why do we do this? (laughs) Because it is so. Normally we only need one, but this time we had like five masters because Laris, you ask too many questions and you make too many of our masters doubt themselves. Yeah. You make us uncomfortable, man. You need to go. We're going to be dealing with your disruption for years to come. Yeah. <laughs> Laris was like 16 when they cast him out, right? Mm-hmm. He's very young. 16 or 17 by the time they finally made him start training. And it would have been sooner, particularly if his father had had anything to say about it. Or had had more to say about it, I guess. Really? You think that? It's said in there a few times that basically the only reason we're not doing right now, doing it right now is you're too young. I don't mean I don't think that means that he would have done it earlier. That just means that uh, he knew it was a foregone conclusion. And they knew he was going to leave. They just needed him to get to the age where he could do so and not immediately die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you expect the mortality average is for danger guilders? Didn't they give that number? I feel like they well, they didn't give an exact number. they, They definitely did not. They definitely didn't. Okay. I got the impression most just die. This is really just a way for us to maintain order and recluse and just kind of get rid of people. They tend to send them to Kandar is the most chaos heavy place right now, correct? So they intentionally send them to a place where they would probably just get eradicated. They send to three different places depending on some schedule. Okay, so that's still ordered in a different way. Okay. Yeah. It's either Hamor, Brista, or... Or was it Nordla? I forget. And Kandar. And it very much basically just depends on what the weather and currents are like at the time. Right. Except Laris knew he was always going to Kandar. And surprise, surprise, he was right. I, I mean, it's kind of a hard rate to even judge because they most they say they don't hear back from most of them. We don't have confirmation on whether that's life yeah. or death. They give a couple anecdotes of ones who survived and were like living so-called happy lives. Yeah. And that's like as far as they'll go. Yeah. What was it? The Emperor of Hemor is actually a Danger Gelder. I think related right? to a Danger Gelder. Related to a Danger Gelder. Yeah. Like the descendant of one. Yeah. Which, fun story, I guess. <laughs> I think it's probably about three out of four. Three out of four die? That die? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems about right to me. Yeah. In the dream sequences, do we ever... So I kind of had some hard times identifying who were... The interludes? Yeah, who we're actually seeing in the interludes. Like, I knew Tamra and Crystal. Those were easy identifiers. It's pretty I think we much see, just them. 
Yeah. Was it just them? Okay. There were eight total. I think, I mean, mean, we see Rin in a couple of them, but she moves on and we don't see her anymore. But after that, it's just Crystal, uh, Tamra, Antonin, and Sephia. Okay. So we never see like um, Pistol Guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, Merton? Merton. Yeah. So we don't actually know the outcomes of any of them. They just kind of disappear from the story. Yes, pretty much. Yep. They, they are quaternary characters, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what I would say out of it is that once Laris is done with his training, they are no longer part of Laris's story. Okay. So they're no longer. And that's why they disappear out of it. I agree. Because I was also getting the impression those interludes, they're his dreams. That's what we're supposed to be taking from those. I think so. Yes. Yeah. Our boy is having uh, visions in his sleep. Right. And really wants to deny what he saw happen to Tamra. Mm-hmm. Doesn't want to believe that those visions are real. What, what do you think of that level of self-deception from a protagonist? Uh, matches up a lot with what we know of him for Tamra to begin with. <laughs> um, his relationship with Tamra is just an always a complicated one. I kind of find it funny that they ended it on, oh yeah, she's like my sister. <laughs> that's fine. that's how I identify this person that I've just been nothing but rude to and have been in denial of <laughs> this entire time from someone who's never had a sister yeah yeah <laughs> and he constantly notes her beauty or lack thereof yep weird judgments to be made compares <laughs> her to crystal all the time which I guess leads us to the next question of um, Tamara or crystal which team you on for endgame crystal I think the right decision was made. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff? I also think that think the right decision was made, if only because it's it's the one that shows the signs of being able to become the more mature relationship. Absolutely. Or the only relationship where either side has ex- actually expressed any sort of interest? That too. Yeah. It's Team Crystal or Team Dumpster Fire. It's... <laughs> I would have I would have been okay with Deirdre if if that was really an option. Tamara and Laris would kill each other. Yeah. Yes, they would. Absolutely would kill each other. Deirdre would die. Yeah. Did anyone else find it a little weird that he decided that he could keep them safe just by leaving them at the mill? Yeah, I did not understand that at all. It's like you're still leaving them in a chaos city where they yeah. now know that these people are affiliated with you. That that's not safe. They're like a mile or two away. <laughs> Yeah, that's not. Uh, and you took him to an obvious space. You took them to the Godfather. Like yep. he's not, he's not a friend that no one else has ever really seen. He's not far, far, far away where they're probably not going to bother. You took not him. A her- yeah. Not a hermit. <laughs> yeah. No, you took him right to the guy that they're going to go to first. <laughs> like how how long do you think it took them to get arrested or killed? Instantly. Like a that night, day, right? That yeah, day. Yeah. That day for my head cannon, I'm going to hope it worked out. Like, I hope there's some, something I'm not seeing in an order chaos balance that allows that to be an acceptable choice, but <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Larry's, why'd you have to go and make magic chairs? It is. I mean, that's the thing we do. Yeah. We do kind of see he's just, he's not that smart a guy. <laughs> he makes a <laughs> lot of poor decisions. And he starts to accept that about himself, but still continues not to quite 
grasp that he should maybe try something different. So I'll be like, does this one have a sequel? This this one does have a sequel. Okay. A sequel was invented for it later. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think there's still plenty of room for Laris to to develop a little bit, but as is, it's he didn't really change all that much. He got more knowledgeable, but not wiser. Yeah. We started yep. off at the chronological beginning of Recluse. This is the chronological end of Recluse. We're pretty w- close. But the sequel to this is the, last is the chronological one. end. Yes. Okay. For now. There might be more. Who knows? Yeah. Once he decides. Of the existing published books. Yeah. As of the time of this recording, this is the chronological end. No, the chronological beginning is about to change. Yes. We're about to get... <laughs> Yep. Negative, negative yeah, 700 or whatever. Negative time units. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun. That will be fun. Yeah. I am looking forward to that book only because I actually have some ties to it now, some knowledge base of what to expect. I did like that by the time we reach this one, there's no sci fi elements whatsoever. Yeah. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But there are steam engines. There are steam engines. And there is a suggestion of the travel to from a different universe dimension whatever it may be um that the rationalists justin says something about like a second plane as yes well. he does yep <laughs> yeah that's what i'm referring to he yeah he says just imagine it and there's oh okay this is more than just a philosophical question i think yeah second plane and there's another statement earlier which is about an order locked purse and I'd love to know how Laris doesn't believe in magic, but does believe in order locked purses. <laughs> yeah. I, Laris's statement about his disbelief in magic makes no sense. Again, I listened rather than read, so it's harder to mark where something was. But it feels like by the time that reference happens, he's coming around to the, okay, this is real. And moreover, I can actually do something with it. Yeah, but that purse is from his parents, and it's like still fairly early on in the journey. I think it's like he just got into Freetown or something. Okay. I think there is some rationale behind it that if Recluse is so, chaos is so absent there, then you might not necessarily see order as a magical thing, as a magical concept, because it is so frequently used. Yeah. I mean, it Um, explains why he... uh, yeah, doesn't draw too much attention to the invisible ships that he can see and no one else can. Right. But that's about it. Oh, and there's the affinity weapons. Yeah, those. <laughs> that is, I'll be honest, that is probably my favorite section of the Danger Guild training. Okay. That's pretty short. <laughs> Again, it, we've come around a few times to the piece of the actual page or word or time yeah. counts for stuff doesn't necessarily match the relative importance or where it stands in memory. But between the affinity weapons and then the follow-up training with the regular ones. I do think it's funny how quickly an order master can pick up the staff, apparently. Yeah. No effort whatsoever. You just gotta stop fighting yourself. Yeah. <laughs> in particular, it is that piece of of, of order inherently defense. And a staff can be a great defensive weapon. Yep. Fantastic defensive weapon. It's a very cool weapon in here and in Wheel of Time. So I think we're coming up on an hour here. Should uh, probably close things out. Anyone have last thoughts? Okay. 
I have a really random question for Kip Dan that I just thought about. Uh, what? What does perfectly ordered bread taste like? Ooh, ooh. Uh, <laughs> and why so, would you be a baker in this world? <laughs> okay, okay. So I have two answers for that. Okay. I have what does recluse ordered bread taste like? And I have what does perfectly ordered bread taste like? And recluse bread is boring. Okay. <laughs> has, has to be As boring. As is. Yep. <laughs> L- Laris is right. <laughs> As is everything in recluse. Sure. Recluse bread has consistently even crumb size. It has even toasting on the outer surface. It has, would recluse use slits or not? I think they would, but they would be the same every time. (laughs) Perfectly symmetrical across the perfect, perfectly symmetrical slits. Just like right down, possibly right down the center line. (laughs) All right. There's not a lot of salt. Because, but what there is, is evenly dispersed throughout the entire loaf. (laughs) Sure. Oh, it's got to be whole wheat. (laughs) All right. Interesting. Good call. I like whole wheat. Okay. Perfectly ordered bread, though. Perfectly ordered. This is my definition. (laughs) Has a fractal crumb. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> it means that there, there, is, that there is an irregularity in the crumb. There, there's large bubbles, there's small bubbles, and there's medium bubbles and every size in between. Okay. But they're arranged in the perfect configuration to give the perfect mouthfeel. So you ha- it's something like more like uh, focaccia. It has, okay. it has an irregular crumb. But irregular doesn't pass in the world of recluse. So we need fractal. It needs to be a perfectly self-consistent pattern that is the same on every step down. All right. To the uninitiated eye looks a bit more random. That that might have been the right answer. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was. <laughs> and same goes with distribution of salt. That salt has to be in exactly the right spot. It might look like a random assortment when you bite into it. It might seem like some bites have more and some have less, and it creates a sensation of contrast and texture for the tongue. But in reality, there's a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> and the, an order master could see it. Yeah. The, the key Wonderful. to order is, is, isn't consistency. It's patterns. Patterns. Yeah. You have to have yep. as long as sequence is happening. Yep. Okay. Exactly. You can make chaos serve your goals as long as you order it correctly. And we will definitely be getting into that in future books. But uh, thank you for the question to end on. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this- I think that's a perfect place to call this. Okay. This has been the Legendarium Green Team. Thank you for joining us in our lovely disorder discussion of the magic of recluse. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Craig, for looning us this corner of your media empire, and thank you, Horizon Brave, for getting us all started. I've been your host, Kip Tan, and I've enjoyed my time with my lovely co-hosts, Jingles and Jeff. Our intro and outro music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. Goodbye. Later. TTFN. <laughs>